Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Welcome back to the Kennedy Dynasty Podcast. I'm your host, Allison, and today I'm joined with a guest that has not been here for a minute, so I'm really excited. It is John Driver. Thank you for joining me. Yeah, it's great to be back. I'm so glad you are, and we have a couple really interesting and great things to talk about. So are you ready to get started? I'm, I'm excited. Let's do it. All right, let's do it. So first and foremost, I teased last week that I had a big announcement and mm-hmm. it was going to drop on Instagram. Actually, that was two weeks ago. And I dropped it and it is that I'm working on a book. You're working on a book. I am. And you're so surprised, aren't you? I, I can't believe it. <laughs> the reason John's not actually surprised is because he is my co-author for the book. And I've gotten a lot of questions about it on Instagram because, like I said, I posted it there. And I didn't reveal it yet. I wanted to reveal it on the podcast. So it is John, oh, everybody. Man. Yep, here I am. And I- tell them why you're my co-author. You're like your background of that. <laughs> it's not like I just picked you. <laughs> just this guy. Uh, so I work uh, in writing and publishing as uh, multiple things, but I'm an author and a co-author and a collaborator. And so I've worked on, I think this will be book number 28. Wow. Um, and so if you see, sometimes you see with, sometimes you see and on a book and it's that little name of someone you've never heard of before. Well, that's me. I'm the guy you've never heard of. And so I get to come alongside authors, uh, and help steward that story to the page and really interpret and translate to the page, whatever it is they're trying to say. So just sort of help them with the manuscript process. And, uh, in this particular case, obviously we're friends. And then secondly, I'm super interested. I mean, I was a history teacher and all those things. And, uh, so this is, it just makes sense. Yeah, so you chose wisely. I did. (laughs) I did. You guys, I'm really excited about it. And I'm not dropping what it's about yet because it's a little early. We're we're in the very early stages of it. But I will say, and I did say this on Instagram as well. If you're not following me at Kennedy Dynasty, shameless plug, uh, go follow. But I did say that I have not personally read anything about the Kennedys along this topic at all. Wow. I haven't. I can't find it. I looked. I tried to find it. Mm. It's not done, to my knowledge. It's revolutionary. Which is, yes, it is. That almost made me want to like break out into Hamilton songs. I don't know why. <laughs> it, it, it is. It's something unique, I feel, and I'm very excited about it. It's not so much biographical, like the whole story of them. It's, it's different. It's different. It I'll say different. that. So I'm very excited. I haven't seen anything like it either, and I'm very excited. I would say, though, I'm probably a little more well-read on the Kennedys than you are, though. Oh, <laughs> yes, I'd say so. That's the one thing I'm, I have read more than you about, <laughs> I promise. <laughs> well, you know, listen. No, uh, but uh, it's it's great. I'm just really excited about it. So I'm excited that we're going to do it together. And you get the and. You're the and oh, here. That's You're so not nice. the win. I got upgraded. <laughs> <Yeah>. I got <laughs> anyway, so I'm excited to reveal more with you guys about it as it progresses. But that's that. Yeah, and it is a long process. So Yes. Yeah, it doesn't happen overnight. Um, as much as I wish it did <laughs> in my type A Enneagram one personality. But yeah, it's it's lots of fun. It really is. It'll be great. It'll be great. It will. And there's another reason that you are here, though. It's not just that. And it is that you have written an extremely timely, necessary book that I need you to talk to my audience about today. And it is called Not So Black and White, 
by you and Reggie Dabbs. Talk about the book a little bit. Well, I mean, you know, it's about racism and uh, it takes a deep dive into history and into the way that we think. There's a lot in this book about the way that we think. And so it's sort of this convergence of not just the, the story of our past, but understanding how history creates for us a legacy of our future uh, and our present. And, you know, as it kind of feels like the world burns around us right now in so many different areas, there's, there's reactions that we begin to take note of that have commonalities among different ideological tribes and that there's a general sense almost of resistance to hearing other sides that are different than whatever we think we're already entrenched in. And so we kind of went really deep on exploring, okay, why is it that we're doing that? Why that contrarianism, if you will, like just a, a general reaction, specifically on issues of racism. Um, we, we really start the book every chapter with a conversation between me and Reggie. And Reggie's a black man. I'm a white man. We've been friends for 20 years we have written two other books together and in all of our friendship, we'd never talked about race. And when I watched the George Floyd video for the first time, I mean, I cried and I realized that I haven't been a very good friend and I haven't listened in some ways that I should have. And so, man, I, first thing I did is I ordered a stack of books. That's what we do when we're interested in things. Um, and began reading a lot of black authors, especially that I should have been reading the whole time. Mm-hmm. And because I'm, I'm, I'm later to this game than I should be much later. And then the next day I called my friend Reggie and, uh, and it was an awkward conversation and it was the right one to have. And I basically just said, man, listen, it's not your job to educate all the white people of the world. I understand that. Um, and you know, I, I've always considered myself, you know, <laughs> against racism and all those things. But I'm not sure I've ever just asked you, if you don't mind telling me, what is your experience like as a black man in America? And he was willing to talk. Mm-hmm. And, man, he began to say things to me. Uh, and he had never talked to anyone about him either. He says, if he was here on the interview, he would tell you. He says, I was his first friend to ever ask him that. <laughs> we began to just have conversations of what the reality is. And not just about an individual's experience, but then how those things really relate to hot button terms like systemic racism Mm -hmm. and understanding what that means and not just dismissing things based off of the rhetoric or the vernacular we're using today that can just be a turnoff uh, or can be used as as a meme or can be used as a a way to shut down a conversation or a way to win an argument, but really tried to go deep into, okay, what is the realistic side of this, not just for an individual, but then how it affects the culture at large. I felt like it was an obvious thing for you to come on and talk about this book because I feel like Kennedy fans in general obviously have a pull to want to fight racial injustice yeah. or, you know, see through that. I mean, obviously, Jack and Bobby are two of the first faces you think of when you think civil rights movement, things like mm-hmm. that. And you were even on and spoke about them and the Kerner Commission and LBJ and all those kinds of things. And I feel like this topic is heavy on the hearts of the nation, really. But I felt like it would really, really, really resonate with my audience because it's something that I see a lot of us genuinely want to learn and care about. So y'all, I'm going to start by saying it's an incredible book. Uh, It's very eye-opening in a lot of ways. There are some things that I don't want to give away things, but I noticed in the first bit of the book, it's kind of shocking some of the things that Reggie shares has happened to him Mm -hmm. and things that 
were supposed to be funny or jokes and things that actually are, I'm sure now looking back at it, I can't speak for him, but would be fairly traumatizing to look back on and can't believe that you're treated a certain way. And then it's just crazy how I feel like this last year, our nation's kind of eyes were opened after George Floyd and all of the things that have yeah. happened um, in that way. So I just, I think this book is very important for right now. Tell me as you were writing, let's get, let's dive into the history aspect of it. As you were writing, what were some things that, even though you have a strong history background, what were some things that stood out to you that you had never read about that you were like, holy crap, this happened in our country? Was there anything like that that you had not known before? I was reading a book uh, by a guy named Jamar Tisby, and it was the first time I had heard about a law that was passed in, I think it was like 1667 in Virginia. So we're still a colony at this point. And again, regardless of your sort of religious leanings, this is significant historically, that up to that point, there had been an understanding in Christendom that you could not enslave someone who was a fellow believer. And they passed a law because so many slaves were coming to the colonies that allowed them to baptize their slaves, but not set them free. Oh my gosh. And so when you talk about systems and history, I mean, it, it's hard to overestimate or it's hard to exaggerate the downstream effects of such a thing when you codify. I mean, you make law out of something that I think we make, we make assumptions as modern Americans when we look back. I've noticed this in talking to a lot of people. The assumption is with slavery in particular that it was always here. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, it was just a way of thinking and that everybody in the early days of the founders uh, that it was sort of an accepted thing. And that's just not true. When I've read these you know, historical narratives and accounts, there were so many people speaking about this issue back then. Uh, they, they may not have all been abolitionists, but there were many who were against slavery from, as, a, as a moral thing. And they saw, not just morally, that it was going to be a ticking time bomb for our nation because it divided us in such a way between North and South. People don't realize that the United States almost broke out into civil war from the get-go of, of our inception. Uh, multiple times, the divisions. I mean, even if you, I mean, we're both big Alexander Hamilton fans mm-hmm. and the Hamilton you know, people. Like that division between Hamilton and Jefferson is based upon a, a North and a South way of thinking because uh, the Republicans of the time, which is different than the Republicans mm-hmm. of today, but the Republicans uh, who are really anti-federalists and then, you know, Hamilton, who's you know, for a strong federal government, the issue often was that the South was always going to get the raw end of a deal. And then even the Civil War itself eventually broke out, not over Abraham Lincoln, his promise to end slavery, because he never promised to do that. It was over whether or not the westward expansion, whether or not the new states that came into the Union would be slave or free. And if you brought in, say, Nebraska as a new state and it came in as a slave state, well, then it tipped the balance of power in Congress because they would have more representatives. And so it was all a political game and it was a firestorm from the get-go that, I mean, people like Benjamin Franklin, this is mm-hmm. the most amazing thing I ever read in the, in the history of it. Benjamin Franklin started off as a broker of slave trades. Like, cause he was in a, you know, he, everybody almost was an attorney. Like he would, he would broker slave trades by the end of his life. He was the president of the abolitionist society of Philadelphia and the anti-slavery movement. So even in his own time, he had this drastic change of heart. And so beginning to understand that 
slavery and then the resulting uh, racism that follows that we're still in, in so much of a legacy of discrimination, Jim Crow, all those things, they were not foregone conclusions. Like somebody made a choice somewhere in history. Mm-hmm. And if you begin to think like that, you realize, oh, then we have a choice now. Like there are, are ways I'm thinking now that I think are just how it is. And they actually came to me from somewhere. Uh, and mm-hmm. so if I'll begin to examine the way I think, then maybe I'll understand their origins. And perhaps I'm right the way I'm thinking. But if I'm not willing to look, then if, if nothing else, it's a intellectually vulnerable place to be to assume that what I'm thinking must be right because someone told me so without actually going into hearing my opponent. The mm-hmm. entire United States system of government is based upon hearing your opponent and even respecting your opponent. You don't have to adhere to your opponent, but there is a sense of balance there, a balance of powers and a balance between parties and interests to go, hey, you know, I'm going to assume now uh, that everything you say is not completely just garbage. I may not agree with it, but it might help me to understand if I'm at least willing to listen. And so we see an unwillingness even to to listen today for a lot of people. And and I've been in that camp before. Mm-hmm. You just throw out a certain term that's a scare tactic terminology, just throw it out and I'm not going to pay attention. But history taught me, wow, there's a lot more to this story than maybe even as a person who has a degree in history and I get, get that, a, that in a quarter will buy you a cup of coffee, you know, but going even through all the way of secular university, uh, all the way through a four-year history degree, there's a lot of things I was not taught about this, and there's a reason for it. Take me back. You talked a little bit about, obviously, how you had the conversation with Reggie, and it was a little awkward and all that. What made you guys want to take the leap to create this? What uh, <laughs> What was the drive in you that was like, we have to do this? Well, Reggie didn't. Like he says, he said on an interview yesterday, he's like, I had no idea we would do this. He wanted our next book to be a children's book. And man, we missed that one by a mile. <laughs> so, yeah. um, you know, I think it has to do, for me, this is a way, and I read another book again, it said, hey, do something. Like, if you're not sure what to do, start somewhere, um, you know, have a conversation with someone. And there are things we need to do that are much more intentional, but this is who I am. Mm-hmm. Like if something is important to me or I'm learning something, like my go-to to continue to learn in it is to write about it. Sometimes uh, I heard someone say that they don't know what they believe until they write about it. <laughs> because as a writer, that expression, and, and much like I'm a verbal processor, much to my wife's chagrin, I don't necessarily get to the bottom of what I'm thinking until I can articulate it. And so I think for us both, it just made sense to have those conversations in a way that others could participate. Mm-hmm. And so we have conversations in the book and walk through some things. And here's a way to make that significant uh, for others. If we're going to do it anyway, why mm-hmm. not capture it uh, and and go deep into it? And of course, we have an amazing publishing partner uh, in Zondervan and, and, you know, having editors as well who challenged you know, us in the process and would question or bring new ideas to the table of what others outside of our circles might be thinking that they're paying attention to. And so I I think I I love team, you know, and if I'm going to do something, I'd rather it have uh, longevity that it can last in a book. Every time I work with an author, I always tell them, listen, no matter what, you're, you're going to die someday. We all are going to, but as long as a copy of this book exists, the thing that's important to you will continue to speak. 
Like it's going to continue to speak mm-hmm. forever. And so I felt like this was important enough that I wanted it to keep talking. Um, and we'll have things that we should have said differently. And it's, a, you know, it's a hot button thing that we're going to keep evolving and growing and learning on it. But I think in, at this moment in time, this is important that people who look like me, especially, uh, listen differently and speak differently than maybe we have in the past because the crisis at hand has become more apparent to us and we can learn more about ways to engage it rightly. You mentioned, obviously, it's a hot button topic, and I feel like it's even more a hot button topic in the Christian conservative circles, obviously. And this book is an invitation to honest conversations about race and faith. So did you struggle with the process of coming to terms with that you may tick some people off or you may say (laughs) say some things that, you know, people don't really want to talk about or don't really want to face? Or did you like, where where was your head at there? Because obviously you are a pastor. So yeah, well, we're going to lose friends. Yeah. And um, I think as much as that saddens me, I think that's just okay. I'm not setting out to do that. Right. Not saying something is saying something. And, you know, Martin Luther King talked about that, that it's not the, the he, he called it the Ku Klux Klanner. It's not, it's not that person that really hurts the cause of racial justice. It's the white Christian moderate. And in the book, I talk about that being my story, who is more devoted to order than to justice. Mm-hmm. meaning that it's easy for me to stand. And this is one of the first things Reggie said to me. It's easy for me to sit on the sidelines and cheer my black brothers and sisters on in this endeavor and not march with them. And I don't mean that just in a literal marching sense, but not take this cause up alongside them in some form or fashion where I have some white skin in the game and something to lose. Mm-hmm. I'm just, you know, so, and people can get, I get inflamed about the ideas. They can become inflamed about the ideas of apologizing for things they didn't do. And we talk about sort of that, like there's, there's a, an admittance of I'm a part of something bigger than me that may not have intention. And, um, you know, Tisby says, when it comes to racism, you really don't need to look at intention as much as impact. That's how you look at systemic racism is not, well, not that someone necessarily set up a system with the intention of this having uh, downstream negative effects for minorities. But if it has downstream negative effects for minorities, then it can still be something we need to adjust regardless of the intention. We don't have to indict everybody. We can continue to adjust it because that system is not living. It's not animate. It has no heart. It's just a system. And so continuing to tend to it is actually the founders uh, specific for governmental systems is actually the founder's vision of that. That's George Washington's second farewell address, that mm-hmm. people have the right to, to create and alter their governments. That's what makes democracy work, is continuing to alter as we go. And so my mindset was, I would rather err on the side of action mm-hmm. on something like this when I'm hearing from my friend, Reggie, that yes, this has affected him. Yes, Reggie still gets pulled over on the way to speak at a festival to 60,000 people in the heartland. He'll still get pulled over and searched randomly sometimes. Yes, Reggie still hears the N-word on airplanes when he mm-hmm. travels as a 3.5 million mile traveler for Delta because he travels more than anybody I've ever met in my life. Yes, when he taught his kid how to drive The first thing he taught him was to take his wallet out, put it in the seat next to him before he gets in the car. And if he gets pulled over to roll down all four windows, turn on the dome lights and put his hand at 10 and 2 and don't make any sudden moves. And he said, John, I taught my son to do that before I taught him to put on his seatbelt. That was our first conversation when I asked Reggie. And that's when it became apparent to me. 
okay, this is not all just bluster and political theater and, and um, you know, left rhetoric. Like, I am speaking to my friend who's saying, hey, there is something here that does affect me. I just don't talk about it normally. Mm-hmm. And there's reasons for that. It's painful. Uh, I don't talk about it because I'm not asked. I don't want to get into the political problems of all of it. And so guess what? It's time for, for people like me, in my opinion, to talk about it. And to he shouldn't have to carry all that by himself. And I told him, dude, I've not been a good friend to you on this. It's time for me to carry some of this, mm-hmm. you know, and, and and walk alongside you and not just cheer you on from the sidelines. Because in, in one of the things specifically for conservative Christianity you were speaking of, you know, um, Martin Luther King said, it's not going to be the actions of your enemies, but the silence of your friends, not just the words or actions of your enemies, but the silence of your friends that haunt us. And Reggie says in the book, it's also going to be the silence of the church that haunts us here. Um, that we're not every church. I'm not speaking stereotypically of all, but there's a lot of people in that ideological mindset that have kind of just dug in their heels to say, nope, all that is some liberal political thing and not really listening to real people or exploring real systems, how they came to us historically, how they affect us now. And so, yeah, it's hard conversations. And I really think, especially to any, if, if you're not like religious like, and you hear things and see things among, uh, you know, certain religious circles. And you're wondering like, do, does anybody within those circles, are they having tension or conversations about it that are difficult? That's what this book has, Mm -hmm. has a lot of those. You could watch, you may not be a person of faith, (laughs) but if you want to see how conversations about faith can be handled within it from the outside, we're not trying to tear it down. We're trying to, to actually work from within. And this is a great opportunity to kind of see those conversations and witness what they might look like. Like you said, when you first saw the video, then you got the stack of books and you felt like that was your action, your call to action. I podcasted pretty immediately after everything. And that was kind of how I felt like I needed to somehow get my voice out in the moment. How, what can I do? I put out an episode about uh, how the Kennedys impacted, you know, the civil rights movement. I talked, talked to you. I talked to Ryan. I talked to, I tried to do something, but I feel like this book has slapped me in the face in the most necessary way possible. Mm. You know, it's like this book truly has made me dissect the way I've thought about things or the way I've handled things or spoken out on things or not spoken out on things and what I could do better. And so I feel like it's just a very timely, as I said before, necessary read for any and everybody. I really do. So I'm just thankful that you guys wrote it and are putting it out there. Well, thanks. I mean, it it is one action with many, many more to go. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of things, um, you know, that's the thing when you read and, and you hear about people who are living this, living this conversation, they say, you know, there's not just one thing you go do one day, mm-hmm. you know, then this won't be that thing. I hope for me, um, or for us, you know, it is a, a process of being more aware constantly and listening. I mean, it's like, Hey, in marriage, you know, you don't just one day solve all your problems. Like you're going to have to learn how to keep communicating and listening and you're going to change over time. This conversation will continue to change. That's how relationships work. And, um, but I want to be involved in that. I mean, I have a lot more conversations now, um, with black friends. I read a lot more books by black authors. Uh, I support organizations now that are, are bringing awareness to these issues or are resourcing, uh, students and authors and others, you know, and, and just paying attention to those things. And the biggest, at the end of the day, just, don't be insulted is the thing that I had to start with. Mm-hmm. Don't be insulted that this conversation is still happening or that the terms are terms that you don't like. 
pay attention and see if what is if being said, you know, has a real mark. And I think about Kennedy in that respect. And I think about how hard it is. And here you're asking me, hey, how are you going to how are you going to face this in 2021? And man, you think about going back 50 years, how hard, uh, you know, for the things that, you know, Robert would stand up for and the, the, the circles that that they would run in mm-hmm. to speak out a message in, in a moment when the civil rights legislation, uh, m- most of it had not yet been passed. Um, and that's a big thing we talk about in the book is the idea among a lot of modern uh, white thinking that legislation has ended racism in the way that we're talking about uh, because it's illegal, therefore. And so we really start defining what a system really is and how it's it's not undefinable, but it has so many components to it that, you know, are variables that there's more variables to it than just the law is my whole point, mm-hmm. uh, and, or even the enforcement of the law. And so I, I, I do, I feel uh, honored to have a chance and hopefully for my kid to see her dad in my time speak out for the right things, but people have been doing this for years. Mm-hmm. And so, um, I'm grateful for that, for those heroes of the civil rights movement and many of them and white and black who were willing to speak out in a moment when violence often <laughs> was the result. And, you know, who knows in all the ways, the social upheaval of that time, um, how much of it played into assassinations and other things. Uh, but it was a moment to be brave and to be courageous and to rise up and to, and to say something. In fact, I, I'm running, you know, I love to run. Mm-hmm. And so uh, there's an organization called The Witness that I did a, it's a black Christian collective. And they did a thing, this is the anniversary of the March on Selma. And one of the things that is you can run because they walked. And for the month of September, I pledged and, and, and was able to run. I'm actually I have three more to go to make 50 miles of running. Uh, and, and it really has been striking to think uh, when they marched across that bridge with people coming at them with dogs and nightsticks and other things like, like when I don't want to get that extra mile, <laughs> mm-hmm. I've thought it legitimately has been like, oh, wow, literally people marched into violence in a nonviolent way in order to stand for what was right here. Uh, surely I can do some small thing in my life uh, to honor that commitment that they made and to take steps whatever it may be, find something and maybe not be as critical of other steps or others ways of seeing, but, but really go down to, to, can I identify why I believe what I believe? Do I understand the origins of it? Even the etymology, the history of the language that I'm using in, in my everyday, uh, talking about these things. Do I understand it outside of just tribal thinking and just being resistant or, or just being uh, honorary to things like, can, can I really understand why it is I think what I think and then move forward with it. So mm-hmm. I'm grateful for those, those times, uh, that are still affecting us today. Yeah. And I think, I think what's been the most eye opening to me, well, there's been several things, but I think something that is unique about the book and the dynamic between you and Reggie that I haven't necessarily seen elsewhere personally and what made me be able to open my eyes to it was seeing the conversation between you two and the fact that like you said, we have privilege that, and I know people, that word triggers people for some reason, but it's true. I have the privilege to be able to say, oh, I'm going to speak out today, but oh, I don't have to think about it tomorrow. Right. Where 
Reggie and the black community doesn't have the ability to turn off the thought process or yeah. to not have to teach their children and ingrain these things to keep them safe. And I don't know, it's just, it, it's opened my eyes a lot to see. And I think your book does that beautifully, opens your eyes to be able to say, I get to decide when I have this conversation and that shouldn't be okay. Yeah, you know, I wow. need to be able to have this conversation all the time because it's not fair that I have the privilege to be able to turn off that switch in my brain when others don't. So yeah. And not being insulted exactly. by, by that idea. You know, we unpack white privilege and all those things yes. down to like, Hey, this is not new down to the psychologist who coined the phrase in 1987 and what it really means. Again, sometimes we're so far downstream. We just assume, Oh, this is just stuff people are tweeting about and hashtagging to get everyone all up in arms. And it's like, Hey, there's a long history here. Um, worth looking at and a depth of really understanding the words outside of how they've been spun. Mm -hmm. And so I, I don't want to, I don't want to just live in the spin. How, what, what does this really mean? Um, and, and that being okay. Like I mean, I'm telling you, if, if we wanted, we wanted this and again, it's a great, here's a guy who hadn't done much. And if, if you're someone who's like, I haven't really engaged this much, that's, that's who he wrote for. Like, okay, we're engaging and, and maybe come alongside us as we do that. And as we encounter these um, ideological pitfalls and, and these moments of offense and insult and, you know, that those are going to be probably similar to the ones that you might encounter in your journey. Uh, and so this hopefully would be a book that would be like, if you don't read books on, on race, <laughs> we want this to be the first one that you pick up. And hopefully leads you to many, many more, sure. but that it would be a good introduction to those things. If that's not, if you're like, I haven't known what to do. I'm not sure how I feel about this. This would be the right journey because that's where we were. And Absolutely. so we jumped into it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, and again, I think it really would appeal to you guys, my audience, because we obviously love history. This very much gets into the history of things and really dissects that and, Obviously, like I said, if you know anything about the Kennedys, and clearly you do if you're listening to my podcast, they had a huge voice in yeah. the 60s for civil rights. And I, I think we all, as we should, <laughs> very much care about these causes and equality. So I, th I think everyone needs to read this book immediately. I really do. So I'm going to put the link to buy the book, pre-order the book, in the description of this episode and I will, again, I'll post it on Instagram, and I'll also post again when it comes out. What's the release date? October 12th. October 12th. That's so soon. That's yeah, exciting. I know. Well, we're also um, inviting the first 50 people who sign up for our Not So Black and White book launch team. Uh, we're going to do something cool with them. So if they go to notsoblackandwhitebook.com slash launch, the first 50 people who sign up, we're going to... Go ahead and mail them a free copy of the book. They have to show us a pre-order of uh, their Amazon copy. And then when they get their Amazon copy uh, and they write us a review, then they give one copy away to a friend. Now they have two. So it's buy one, get one free. And uh, then they can have a conversation with their friend just like we're having in the book. Guys, I really want you to read this book. I really, really, really do. I mean, I want you to read all the ones that I talk about, but I really, this is a really important book and I want it I want it to be read. So if you buy it and you pre-order it, tag me. And I'm also going to do a giveaway for the book Nice. once it comes out. I have to wait till it comes out, right? To do a giveaway? You can do a giveaway right now. I can have, I? Yeah. Okay, well guys, I'm going to do a giveaway. So yeah. go follow me on Instagram. As I said earlier, I've plugged Instagram so many times today. It's painful, <laughs> honestly. But uh, at Kennedy Dynasty, I'm going to do a giveaway of the book, and that'll be super fun. Yeah, so. absolutely. All right, plug whatever. How, how can people find you and follow along with the journey? Well, if you want to look at the book more, go to notsoblackandwhitebook.com. 
that book is really important because mm-hmm. there's another website that's not us. So not so black and white book.com. You can see all the stuff there. You can start reading actually a sample if you'd like before you pre-order. Uh, and then you can follow me on Instagram as well. It's just at John driver. I'll and, put all those links so that yeah. people can just direct follow and everything. And the big thing, man, and, you know, one of our common connections is I do a podcast every week, uh, with my, my best friend who's a comedian It's called talk about that. And man, we have a lot of fun and talk about important things as well. It's very conversational, very non-scripted. And uh, talkaboutthatpodcast.com. You can go check it out there on almost any platform. Perfect. My favorite podcast of all. I refresh oh, on you. Monday mornings, like waiting. <laughs> if you guys wait till like 12, I'm mad because <laughs> I, I need it early in the morning. No, it's the best podcast ever. You guys go subscribe immediately. Well, oh, thank you. John, thank you so much for joining me today. I want to have you back soon, of course. Yeah. yeah. You're, you're well loved to the audience. So <laughs> I want to have you back and you guys get this book. I'm not, I'm going to say it over and over and over until I drive them nuts. No, hey, listen, keep going. <laughs> yeah, you don't mind that. I don't mind it. <laughs> all right, guys, that's all I've got this week. I'll talk to you soon. Come on and vote for Kennedy. Vote for Kennedy. Keep America strong. Kennedy, he just keeps rolling up. Kennedy, he just keeps rolling up. Kennedy, he just keeps rolling up. Hi, I'm Corey Nathan, and I host the Talking Politics and Religion Without Killing Each Other podcast. You can find us at politicsandreligion.us. That's politicsandreligion.us. We are your home for edifying, provocative, and fun discussions among high-profile public figures and regular folks like me. We talk about faith and politics and all kinds of topics that really matter in our culture. So if you're tired of screamers and extremists dominating the conversation and you want to join us and take some of that space back, if you want to better understand different points of view, if you appreciate some nuance and just having a little fun, you'll love talking politics and religion without killing each other. And remember, we're real easy to find. It's politicsandreligion.us. Hope to see you soon. We'd love to have you join the conversation on talking politics and religion without killing each other.